Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we have two very special people with us. I'm so excited. First, we have Rich Davis. Rich is an orthotist that has been working here with us at all of our clinics in Fayetteville and Southern Pines for... Oh, probably about 10 years, at I least. think. I think. I don't even remember. I mean, like a really long time. It seems like as long as I can remember, Rich, I just see you like in all of our places. Like everywhere I go. Or or actually, you know what? I was in Rockingham the other day, um, which is about an hour and like a half from here, from this office here. And when I was leaving, the director said, hey, hey, yeah, we're going to send Rich next week. So I mean, like all the way down in Yonderville. (laughs) So not that Richmond County is in Yonderville, because if you're in Richmond County, Fayetteville's in Yonderville. But you know what I'm saying, from where I sit right this minute, it's a long way. And then also we have Kirstie Miles, and Kirstie is a team lead here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy, a physical therapist, many times has been on the podcast with me. So welcome, Rich and Kirstie. And why don't we First, just start by you guys introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your background. And Rich, why don't we start with you? All right. My name is Rich Davis. I'm a certified orthotist and prosthetist. An orthotist maintains and corrects different deformities on bones and straightening, all those devices. The training for an orthotist, well, right now there's two certifying organizations, the ABC and the BOC. The ABC is going to a master's degree. The BOC is going from associates to a bachelor's degree. I got in it 30 years ago. I had an associate's degree, mm-hmm. uh, but I still need 20 continuing credits every year to maintain my education and all the new products that are out there. 20 credits a year. Yes. That's a lot. Right. Yeah. So an ABC is an orthotist with an associate's degree and a BOC is a master's degree. No, the ABC is a master's degree. Okay. Gotcha. I reversed it. And the BOC actually right now is a, uh, bat- going to a bachelor's degree. Oh, gotcha. I got bachelor's. The BOC actually developed for people that had experience but didn't mm-hmm. have the education. So if you worked in the field for two years, you could qualify by having a doctor sign for you. To, you've been fitting their patients. And you could qualify there that way and get a certification. That seems smart because, you know, you got to recognize people who have the experience because it seems like so often that's sort of discounted and the degree is... The experience is actually hands-on. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of common sense that way. Mm-hmm. From the book smarts, you need that also, but you still need the hands-on experience, I feel. No. That's the way I came up through the field. Amen to that, because I feel like sometimes now, especially in a lot of degrees, you know, there's, okay, you have to get a doctorate or whatever, but you still have no experience. And so right. I think it's nice in that profession, they've recognized the experience. Right. And I came up as a technician, actually making the products and seeing the patients also. Huh. So I've seen, and everything I made, I had to wear when I was through school. So oh, really? I, yes. They made you wear it. Right. We made AFOs for each other in the, in the school, and you had to wear the product. <laughs> and you felt, well, they hurt. I bet they did. And they're not supposed to hurt. No, that's awesome. <laughs> right. I love that. So, Kirstie, why don't you introduce yourself really quickly, and then we'll... Kirstie Miles. I'm a physical therapist and team lead with Pediatric Developmental Therapy. I've been with PDT for 11 years, so I've been with Rich from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so 11 and- years, Rich, longer than you thought. time's growing. (laughs) And I do a lot with the different contract sites over in the Southern Pines area, Richmond County, Hope County, and also the clinic locations. 
So I'm all over the place like Rich and Hayden as well. That's right. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. So welcome both of you all. And then, um, so Rich, do you, they make people, when you're training to be an orthotist now, do they still make you wear your AFOs that you make and stuff? Or? The school that I went through actually doesn't do that anymore. Huh. The actually school closed up and went to a vet tech school. Hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure how the other technician programs work or the actually the bachelor degree programs don't really do that. So how did you pick this profession? I used to work at an auto assembly plant in Pennsylvania, and I actually got run over by a fork truck and had the dorsum of my foot partially crushed. So I had to wear an insert and a brace. Then the plant I worked at was actually affected by imports, so the government put everybody back to school if you wanted to. And there was a Harmerville Rehabilitation Center in Pittsburgh that had the program. And I went through the program, and it was the best thing ever happened to me. Wow, having your foot crushed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at least you understand. Right. It gives you context and everything. Wow. And then how is it that you and Kirsty kind of connected at PDT? Uh, I think she was having problems with some of the people who were making the braces for the children. And mm-hmm. she called me out and I don't know what I did special. <laughs> I just treat the kids like they're my kids. I don't really know. <laughs> I think that was the special, right, Kirsty? Well, when I came on with PDT, we had a list of people in the area, local mm-hmm. orthotists, prosthetists. And so I... Honestly, I tried them all. I tried the whole list that was given to me. I worked with each one of them. And at the end of the day, I was like, nope, I didn't like what they did there. Nope, I didn't like what they did there. Rich, okay, you're speaking my language. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) And so from there, it was the biggest thing for Rich is just that he puts the child first. If something wasn't right with a brace, it wasn't like, oh, well, I'll get out there in three weeks. It was, okay, I can come by tomorrow and check it out. What do you need? How can I help you? Everything that we do at PDT, he supported that. Hmm. So if you're a physical therapist working with kids or patients somewhere, I guess, you know, the takeaway from what you just said was you've got to really find somebody you trust and connect with and it matches what you want to do or what you want for that patient. Exactly. Because there is a certain amount of trust, you know, between, I guess, Rich, when you're working with therapists and when we're working with you, there has to be a certain amount of trust that you're getting the right information from the therapist, I would guess, and that they're getting the right information from you, too. Right. So, Rich, who do you work for? And then what types? Do you only see pediatric people? I work for a company called Advanced Brace and Limb. We're actually a new company. We've only been in business for about five years. We're actually above a group of nine orthopedic surgeons Hmm. that actually do have a pediatric orthopedic surgeon there, Dr. Walter Green, that used to be the head of UNC's pediatric program. So if I need anything, basically, he's open to me all the time. He calls me down for evals on the children. I love doing the children. Mm-hmm. I would pick a spot to do it. I would do all children. Really? And stay away from the adults. Now, how come? <laughs> we complain too much. <laughs> and we sit and concentrate on something that's wrong with us. And every day it's changing on the adult. The children, they just go. Yeah. They're fantastic. I was talking to a good friend of mine. He's a neonatologist. And we were talking about just that last week. And he was saying, gosh, I just didn't realize that that was where the joy was. Because, you know, nobody's told kids that they've got a problem. They're like, I'm fine. I don't know what's the problem with you guys, but I'm good over here. You know, That's just the child. That's <laughs> that's that child. It, yeah. He doesn't know any difference. That's the way he is. And that's the way he's going to be. Exactly. And you treat the child just as the child. That's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Then I guess so. Then the main difference of working with peds and adult patients is the complaint factor. <laughs> yeah, and the satisfaction. I mean, I mean, the adults you put on there, they don't really care. But a child, you put a brace on a child, and they get up and ambulate and walk or a prosthesis. Really? Yeah. I get chills talking about it. I have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old BK and a Symes amputee. 
they're fantastic. I mean, hmm. plus going to the clinics with the children, they all run up to you and hug you. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's just part of the program and the way it goes. What I see you do the most with us is like the AFOs or SMOs or but what all do you do? I do a lot of scoliosis bracing. I do reciprocating gait orthosis. I do adults with paraplegics. I do an up and about system, which keeps the alignment of the KFOs proper for ambulation. Mm-hmm. The RGOs are reciprocating gait for the paraplegics. Actually, they can get up and ambulate. Mm. First one of those I did was back in 1995. Mm. I actually wow. have two of them sitting in my office right now that I've just redone. Huh. Wow. So a huge gamut of things. You're switching gears all day long. I go from the feet to the head. <laughs> yeah, you really <laughs> For bracing. Do. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that you did that much variety. Yes. I mean, I've, I've done halos for the cervical fractures right. out of the VA in uh, Tampa, Florida. Just do everything from the head to the toe yeah. for bracing. Is that normal for most orthotists, do you think? Is that their normal? I don't know. I've always done that. Yeah. That's just the way I have been. Just treat them. I try to learn everything if I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I don't know something, I'll just jump in and do it. That's great. What are some of the obstacles in working with a pediatric patient versus an adult? Or what are some of the things you run into that are difficult? Yeah. Most of the time with pediatric patients, the parents. Really? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but yeah. a lot of times the therapists will do most of the work for the parents, getting the prescriptions, and then the parents expect that sometimes. I try to put a lot of it back onto the parents. You need to get the prescriptions. You need to get the shoes or prescription shoes or socks. Mm-hmm. Because basically the therapist will get this pressure for the AFOs, then you go to the, parent, the patient's home without the therapist to deliver it. And it's, oh, we were supposed to get shoes and socks for that. Well, you need to give me a prescription. Uh-huh. That's the only problem I run into. Yeah. The adults, they're just complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> but no, that's not the majority of them. I say maybe 5 or 10% of my patients complain. Mm-hmm. So, Kirsty, when you're in the therapist role and you're working with Rich and stuff, what suggestions do you have in sort of working with some of those obstacles he's talking about when parents, you know, maybe don't have the right shoes or socks? Or what's the role of the therapist to help the orthotist with some of those obstacles or to just help it so that the whole situation is successful? As a therapist, you're seeing the child often more frequently than Rich is going to see that family. So when a therapist is working with that family and that child, you've already built that rapport with a family. Whether it's been three visits or it's been months of therapy and they're just starting to get in orthotics or AFOs, that sort of thing. So the therapist really is coming to Rich having gathered a lot of the information and on a general idea of what is going to be needed for this child. I think what I love working with Rich and what I love about it is the fact that I can come to Rich and I'm like, Rich is the one that does orthotics all day long every day. That's not what I do every day. I do therapy, but Rich does the orthotic piece, so he knows what's new out on the market. He's been to just orthotic training courses and the 20 credits a year of continuing ed, so he's seen a lot more of what's out there, and I like using him as a sounding board to be like, here's what I need, here's what I don't want, what do you think about this, and then it becomes a collaborative team effort, and also, I've already talked to the family, so I can be like, yeah, you know, they're not going to be ready for that yet. Mm. So we have had in the past working with a child with spina bifida where it might be the right time to try this, but we know the family's not ready for that yet because we've already thrown out some different possibilities of what we could do and we've got reactions from the parents. So that way when we bring Rich onto the scene, 
we've already had that behind the scenes discussion and here's a little bit more discussion coming with Rich or we can preface him with like, hey, we've already discussed this. They're not ready to hear this, this, and this yet, but here's what we have talked about. So these are the options we're going to need within this category. So I think we've already done a lot of the legwork coming in. We're just filling in Rich with the highlights <laughs> yeah. so that we can then get that child what they need. So what information is important for you, Rich, before you come into a session? Like what do you need to know? Uh, basically, it's a patient's diagnosis, what they've had before, what their goals are, the therapist's goals are for the patient. Mm-hmm. From that point on, I'll see what the therapist was recommending. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything different that I think would work better, I'll suggest it to the therapist. Then we collaborate and get whatever's the best for the child. Sometimes we may go with a like a solid ankle AFO for the first six months and then switch them to a hinge for right. certain conditions. He may not have been ready for it. His knee may not have been stable. So once he gets his strength built back up, then we can go to an articulating AFO. So it sounds like to me, and maybe both of y'all or one of y'all could just talk to me a little bit about the real-time component. Because it sounds to me like, you know, Kirsty, you're saying how you're giving Rich context of the situation. Like, hey, this is where this family is, or this is what I've tried. This, And you're Rich saying, hey, look, I need the diagnosis, the goals, kind of where they are, what you're wanting to achieve, the purpose of this. But, you know, we all know that in a therapy session, you can have a plan, but that doesn't mean diddly squat sometimes because that plan can go out the window when something's not working at that particular moment because it's all about the child. So can y'all kind of talk about like the real time component, you know, and Rich, I'm thinking of one example that we've done within the past year together. We had that little one. She was not yet walking, but very low tone. And one side was more affected than the other lower extremity. And I told you what I wanted ideally for the child, but she wasn't ready to be there yet. So we needed some sort of in-between ground. And you were like, well, why don't we do the sure step two part where it is an SMO and it is an AFO. And if you don't need the AFO part, you can drop that and just use the SMO. So for me, that's a therapy option. And then that's going to carry a little bit longer. So then when we go in and we're talking Mm -hmm. to mom, we're doing all that in real time. And so I've prefaced mom to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what an AFO will do and why. And here's what an SMO will do and why. And here's why I'm leaning towards the AFO. But I really would love to see her in an SMO. And then Rich comes on the scene. And so in the moment, he's then discussing other options with us. And then mom has an opportunity to be involved in the decision-making process because ultimately, It's their insurance that's being billed. They're the one that's paying the cost that insurance doesn't cover. So they have to have the final say, not me. And that gives you an option, the two-stage AFO. And there's another one with a hinge, an adjustable hinge. You can stretch at nighttime. We and Kirsty had another patient like that Uh whose plantar flexed a little bit. We wanted to try to control that contracture. So instead of going to two braces, a night split and a hinged AFO door for ambulation, we used the hinged AFO with the adjustable hinge. Mm. And then the mom was able to adjust that at nighttime to get some stretch out, and the child did fantastic after that. Hmm. And mom was very happy because we didn't have to build for two braces. So you're sort of building, I guess, when you're talking, I'm envisioning this, you're sort of sometimes maybe building something that doesn't exist but what the child needs. You're making that. Sometimes. I mean, I experiment a lot. Do you? I'll try a lot of things. Actually, we just did a a modified SMO on a child to prevent toe walking. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I love, too, of Rich, just the ability to think outside the box 
(laughs) and come up with different things. And you know, that one patient, the brace that he's talking about, here you have a family with private insurance. The private insurances don't cover all the braces. So we already know there's going to be an out-of-pocket expense just for the one pair. So now we're talking two pairs of braces on private insurance. So me coming in, bringing him that information going, look, Rich, what can we do? Like, we don't want this parent to have to pay for two braces. So here's what I need during the day. Here's what I need at night. Now make me something that'll mesh the two together. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. She gives me all this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then you make it and do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. Because all of this is custom. I think that's the word custom. Yes. And so when it's custom, it's got to be in real time. And it's got to be what the person needs. Exactly. Yeah. So then I guess to best describe the working relationship between the physical therapist and the orthotist, to me, I just keep hearing the word collaboration. Right. You've got to work together. It's a team effort. There's some things I like to put on children. There's some things a therapist, but there's an in-between part you can actually come to mm-hmm. and collaborate with the therapist and get this child what they need mm-hmm. and make them a little more functional. Do you think all therapists just come knowing this, Rich, or you have to sort of teach it? It's a learned thing. I mean, I try to instruct the therapist and help them as much as mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. And some of the new therapists right out of school don't have that experience. Right. Uh, so I just try to give them all the options that are available. Right. I would imagine that people maybe right out of school wouldn't know this is like this is how a working relationship should be and right. how it really works so I'm well. I'm not sure how much orthotic and prosthetic training they get into PT school. I know they get some, but there's so much stuff out there. What do you think, Kiersey? Is this more on-the-job training kind of thing? It is, and it really depends, too. Like, some people have different clinical experiences than others. And I know through my program, I did have a unit that was just orthotics and prosthetics for a semester. Hmm. So I felt like I had a little bit more background in it. But then also I had a really good clinical experience up in New Jersey, Trenton. And part of my clinical experience was I told them I had an interest in orthotics. Hmm. And so they set me up to go to an orthotist facility for a whole day, watch them on the job fabricating. So I had a little bit more coming in maybe than another person even in my program. You kind of were, I guess, coming out of school sort of set up to connect. You understood how working with a good orthotist really would help your patient. Yes. And I think from that then, we've sort of here created a model of how it really works and then used that to train the rest of our PTs for years. Right. Yeah, I think so. I said a lot of times you can actually, uh, a lot of therapists I work with, actually, I'll give them doctors phone numbers and they can contact the doctor also. Yeah for some clarification on the orders and everything like that, especially with Dr. Walter Green at Cape Fear Orthopedics. He's fantastic. He's open to everybody calling him. Yep. I think that's huge because I do think therapists sometimes may be um, intimidated by calling a doctor and thinking, oh, I shouldn't call or shouldn't call. But the way I see it is the physicians have referred this patient to us for us to sort of take care of this particular area. You know, they're trusting us to help this patient with this area. So I think the communication would just be... Automatic. It's, it's still more of a team effort. He's it part is. of the team. He totally is, even if they're not there on site. Yes. Right. What's the difference in working with a physical therapist and occupational therapist? Do you work with a lot of OTs? Oh, yeah. Not much. Basically, we do the same thing. I'll come in and do an eval. They'll recommend something, resting hands, splints, basically sometimes for nighttime use, sometimes for daytime use. Mm-hmm. And the same thing on the insurance issue. Before, the child may need two braces, a resting hand splint and a splint for it during the day. A lot of times insurance won't pay for two braces. Mm. So you can actually get a resting hand splint with a removable volar extension. Mm. So that way they got the splint for it during daytime and at nighttime. Well, that's just smart. Yeah. You can't get blood from a turnip if the insurance isn't going to pay for it. You can't, I mean, you got to right. make something happen. Right. And there's a couple of times I actually forgot about that myself. Huh. And then I remembered a couple of times later on the children and did get the one with the removable pan extension. Yeah. 
So kids react the same way to like a, if you're doing something with a hand splint versus a, like a foot orthotic, because, you know, we talked about how the kids are like, just, okay, yeah, give it to me. Let's put it on. Let's go. Do they react the same thing when you're doing stuff for their hands? Yeah, most of the time if we get their hand into a functional position, they're able to grasp things that hold because mm-hmm. they're basically they're grasping their thumb in the palm because of tone kicking in or just uh, basically once you get their hand into a functional position, they're able to grasp and hold things. And you can use some supinator straps to control the rotation and positioning of the hand. I have a little boy right now, 16, he wants to play guitar, cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. his tone kicks in. So I just fit him with a hand splint. With a supination strap, he's able to hold the guitar in his hand now. Oh, cool. I've seen this child when he was nine months old and he's 16 now. Wow. He's like my kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. That's a huge quality of life issue for that child, and that's fantastic. I get chills thinking about that. <laughs> in my experience of just have working with kids in lots of capacities and lots of ways, doing all kinds of things, and also just with working with my daughter and stuff, usually if you give her something or other kids something functional where they understand, hey, this is going to help me, they tend to accept it and use it and go with it. Right. I've had actually children with SMOs, the short step SMOs uh-huh. uh, for the low tone, actually get up in the morning, grab the braces and their shoes and take them to the parents to put them on. Yeah. They know they do help. Yeah. I think sometimes the conflict is when it really is not helping, but we keep just putting them on. I know we're not talking about eyes or glasses today or whatever, but I've seen so many kids wearing glasses and they'll look over the glasses because the prescription's not right. right. And as soon as you get their prescription right, they're keeping their glasses on all day. They never lose them and they're using them and it's great, you know, but I'm like, let's, I think sometimes just paying attention. And it can't be your plan. It's got to be what's working really for the child. And sometimes right. even if you have a plan, you have to be able to say, you know what? That was stupid. Let's try something different. Oh, yeah. I've made mistakes myself when <laughs> yeah. children diagnosed. But if you're a good orthotist, he will correct it. Yeah. I mean, you get the big corporate companies. They're not able to do that. Mm. Orthotists in smaller companies have the option to do that. Mm-hmm. If I make something for a patient and it's not right, it's going to be remade no matter what my boss is. <laughs> so if somebody is working with an orthotist out there and it's not you, Rich, and they're not as good, so is that really becomes the orthotist's responsibility then to be like, hey, you know, I screwed that up. I got to redo this at my cost? I feel it is. I do. I take it personally. Yeah. They should take it personally. Because mm-hmm. these children out there, they have no option or choice. Yeah. They have, You're there to help them. Right. They sometimes don't have the voice. Right. You know, or they'll cry when every time you put something on. There's got to be a reason for them doing that because it's really helping Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I valued so much about working with Rich. Again, if I called him and said, hey, Rich, they're getting red spots and blisters on the back of this. They're not keeping their heel down in it. He'll be out that week to make it right. Patient care is the main thing. And I think also what you said, a smaller company, because, you know, that's what we do. That's what private practice, we work really hard. You know, you work really hard. I mean, I've talked to you before. You were like, I've got 10 more patients to see. I've got to go. I mean, that's your normal. And so, in fact, 10 might be a low number. I don't know. But I think in private practice, that's what we do. We have to go to where the kids are. We have to meet the kids where they are at that moment. And we really can make a difference, just like your fellow with the guitar, make a difference and change that life. Right. And it's uh, better for the parents and the family because, I, I mean, I do home service. I do go to the clinics. If the parents want to be there, that's fine. Then they're educated also in the system. So basically, that's why I'd like to do it. <laughs> so can y'all describe to me what a session looks like between an orthotist and a physical therapist? And I'm just saying that because, you know, if you're a therapist who's working and, and you maybe don't have a relationship with an orthotist right now and, or, you know, you're not really sure of what that would look like. So can y'all describe how it looks for us or how you guys got to set it up? Like what happens, Kirsty? Can you start us off? We're going to identify a need because Rich isn't there to know what children on our caseload have a need for orthotics. And so 
we're going to make a phone call to establish, you know, having already had a conversation with the parent about the need and making sure they're on board with getting Rich in for an appointment. And then once that's agreed upon, we'll reach out to Rich. And if they're in the clinic and have a scheduled time, we'll make sure Rich is available. And it might not be next week, but it might have to be two or three weeks from now, depending on Rich's schedule and also the location of the clinic. But then we'll arrange that time to coordinate so that we can all be there together because, again, it's going to take that collaboration to get the right product for the patient. And then if we already know, okay, like we are needing an AFO. And so again, because Rich and I both like to keep our options open, (laughs) um, I might already go ahead and write the letter of medical necessity because I already know I'm going to need a doctor's order for Rich. Mm -hmm. And I don't want the reason we're holding up getting a child what they need to be the doctor's order or the fact that my letter is taking a long time to write. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and do everything I can so that when that appointment does come, I already have a letter in hand. And that can look two ways. I can go ahead and fax it directly to the doctor. Or if I've talked to the family and she says, oh, yeah, we're going to see Dr. So-and-so next week, I'll be like, great, stop by here and grab that letter. I'll have it ready for you. And then Mm. they can pick it up and take it to the doctor and bring a script back. Because again, too, you want that family involved. They are a part of this process. And I don't think there's any harm in having that family be accountable. But again, you also know the patient you're working with. And if they're not going to the doctor or it's going to take follow-up, it may be easier in that instance to go ahead and just, you know what, I'll go ahead and take care of it. I'm going to have it faxed over to the doctor and we'll follow up. So my goal is to have that doctor's order in hand so that when Rich comes, I'm like, here you go. (laughs) So that way he can leave there and order it. So basically you've identified the need, educated the parent as to who Rich is, what he does, his value in being there. You've gone ahead and gotten the prescription and written the letter of medical necessity and have invited Rich into your session. Yep. And sometimes I have a copy of Rich's paperwork that he requires for his facility on my desktop. I can print that off and be like, here, why don't you bring this back with you the next session? That way paperwork's already filled out. So then Rich comes in the session and then what happens? Again, give a rundown of, you know, what's going on with the patient, depending on the scheduled appointment. Maybe it was, you know, three weeks ago we scheduled and Rich is finally here. And I'm like, finally. okay, well, See, look, you know, <laughs> go ahead. he's busy. He's a busy man. Yes, he is. I'm just teasing. You know, it could mean the patient has a change of status from what I originally thought was going to happen three weeks ago. Ah. So that's where it's really important to do in the moment and you've got to be adaptable and in that session things could change or Rich could be like, you know what, this product just came out and I think it would be great to try with this patient. And I'd be like, well, tell me more. So Rich, what do you do to kind of know, because the therapist in this situation, Kirstie's already kind of given you a little bit of background. This child has blank diagnosis. These are my goals, what I'm working for. This is what I'd like to achieve. But what do you come into the session sort of, what's your mindset? I come to the session, I say, I watch the child a little bit during the therapy session. If they're ambulatory, I watch them ambulate and see what position their foot and their ankles and their knees are going into. A lot of times there's some rotation. Sometimes it may be coming from the knees, the hips. I have to check all that. A lot of times the doctors don't look at that. Mm. They'll look at a drop foot on a patient. They'll say, okay, they're going to need an AFO. But they don't have the hype, but they didn't look at the knee hyperextension. So you've got to put them into some dorsiflexion to control the hyperextension. Ah. I got to look at all of that. Then I decide what type of brace is going to be. Kiersey's already done the evaluation, said they need an AFO. And then I come in and tell, well, I think AFO with the hinge would work a lot better with dorsiflexion to control hyperextension and some rotation. 
But sometimes when I write the letter to the doctor, I'll just get it really broad to say AFO instead of locking me into one specific type. Because if I said solid AFO and then Rich comes and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That was three weeks ago and now I want a hinged AFO. And Rich has helped me with that over the years because, you know, thought I knew what I wanted. And then I'm like, no, that's going to have to change because you know what? We're making progress at a really quick rate and I want to start working on stairs. So do you find that happens a lot, Rich? The therapist says, hey, I think I want this. And you're like, oh, no, I think you really no, want that. Not too often. They're, here at PTT, they're usually pretty good. I've had had to change hardly anything. They do oh, really good. That's good. Yay, Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Rich. Yay. <laughs> but I mean, there was one child out at the Rockingham Clinic. She's been wearing bilateral KFOs. She's a spina bifida child. She's been wearing KFOs for I don't know how many years. We switched her to a carbon toe-off brace. It just pushes the knee into mm-hmm. extension. She did fantastic with them. But she ended up getting some breakdown from the SMO, so she had to go have surgery to correct the position of the foot. But we switched her from bilateral KFOs to AFOs with forearms, loft ram crutches, and she did fantastic. Huh. She's a happier child. Wow. She opened up more, but she still won't talk to me, though. <laughs> <laughs> no. She won't? Seriously, no. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. Do you find, Rich, that you'll go into sessions sometimes and not recommend anything, or most often... You're called in well, the right time. Most of the time, time I'm called in at the right time. There's sometimes I say, right. I've had other therapists, like for up in Stanford, the United Cerebral Palsy School up there. Right. The therapist asked me to do an evaluation on a child. They had braces made from another company. We took the braces off. The child walked the same with or you know, without braces. But to me, mm-hmm. that was just an insurance thing to bill. I don't do right. that. I will not do it. <laughs> right. So if you think they don't need it, you won't recommend it. No, right. I think the key thing you said there was observation, which I guess I really have seen that over and over, Rich, with you do it. Because you sit there and watch, you watch and walk, you just watch. So observation's key right. first, and then you start to get involved in your thing. Right. I try to get the—I play with the children. I mean, I try to just to get mm-hmm. them comfortable with me. Sure. That makes my job a lot easier. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they like you, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'm— down on my hands and knees with the children, rolling on the floors with them. That's what it's all about. Keeps us young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> no, no. So then after the session, so the therapist basically has done a lot of the work. They've already got the letter of medical necessity written, and we're going to talk about that in a quick second. And then your doctor's order stuff. So then what happens? Basically, all that information is given to me, the patient information. I take care of any authorizations that need done. I take letters of medical necessity that I have to for Medicaid, insurance, and all that stuff. And then basically, then I order the devices. So what doesn't happen is the physical therapist or occupational therapist said, hey, this patient needs such and such. Go see Rich, and the therapist is not there. It's all there together in real time, you, parent, therapist, potentially teacher, potentially whoever else may be involved if you're at the home or daycare or school or whatever. Right, right. It's all in real time. You, it's, it's their collaborative with the therapist, not separate. Teachers are involved. They're caring about the children then also. Mm-hmm. And well, they're going to have to put it on and off after nap time, right. potentially, right. you know, so they need to know how to do it. So does that instruction come from you or the therapist or how does that work? Because the therapists are there more than I am. Sure. I'm there for the initial fitting or any follow-ups. Basically, the therapists are there every day and they instruct the teachers on donning and doffing them. So when the equipment comes in, do you deliver it or do you give it to the therapist and they do it? Well, I deliver it most of the time. The girls with PDT, they're fantastic. If I can't get out there a certain time, they'll say, well, just ship it to me. I'll fit it for you. Sure. That helps me out considerably. And I have all the faith in your therapist to do that or I wouldn't let them. Do people ever do like FaceTime with you to say, hey, look, they're walk or take a video and does technology help? 
you nowadays as much, or is it more in real time you need to sort of see it? No, no, I actually had a pair, the, the little boy that's 16 now that I've been working since nine months. Uh, I fit him with new AFOs last week. Uh-huh. Uh, he's with the grandparents. They sent me pictures. By the time they got home, he had a bunch of redness on his feet. So I just take the pictures, I forward them to the company, and then we have the braces remade. Gotcha. I mean, a lot of times, if you do have a problem with a child with bracing, a lot of the companies, especially Cascade Doffo, if you send them a video, they'll do the evaluation for you and tell you exactly what they recommend you do then. Wow. If you're having problems with the child. Right. Right. And the bracing. That's a nice resource. Oh, it is. They're great. That's awesome. Cascade Doffo is one of the best companies out there in short-step SMOs. Really? You use those frequently? Yeah. All the, a lot of times. <laughs> all day, every day, basically. Yep, basically. <laughs> so then we talked a little bit about the paperwork, Kirsty and Rich, and the nuts and bolts of that. But like in letter of medical necessity, what's the main thing that you're trying to communicate? And what is the main thing that you want communicated in that letter of medical necessity? Because if the therapist doesn't write it correctly, Rich, it doesn't get approved in the insurance. Is that right? right well, basically, I don't really need the letter of medical necessity. Oh, okay. Kirsty and the therapist, they all send those to the doctors to justify what they're requesting. They'll need ah, order. Gotcha. With me, I have a certificate. <laughs> medical necessity I have to have from some of the insurances. Most of the private insurances don't require it. Okay. As long as I have the prescription and I can put in for auth and justify with the descriptors of the codes. So Kirsty, as we kind of get on the paperwork side of life, because, you know, uh, as much fun as it is, we can't do anything with anybody, honestly, that doesn't generate paperwork. So talk to me about what is the therapist's responsibility in terms of understanding and knowing what paperwork is needed. I think the biggest thing to understand is that Rich and Advanced Brace and Limb is not a part of PDT, so they're a separate and that they have their own paperwork. They have their HIPAA confidentiality forms. They have to have files of their own patients. We are using their services for our population, so we're just kind of helping them Mm -hmm. to link up but also keep that collaboration going and that just continued care and the quality of care. And so they have to know that we're just kind of facilitating them coming in, but they have their own paperwork and that what they need from us is number one, the patient, and also our recommendations. And really that letter of medical necessity is really PDT's communication with a doctor because now we've got to bring a doctor on board because we can't get anything for a child without a script from a medical doctor. So we can't write scripts. So we're going to have to communicate that to a doctor. And in order to best do that, to make it official, to have the presentation that, you know, we know what we're doing on our end. We write that standard letter of medical necessity to keep a standard of care going to communicate back to the doctor what it is that we need for this child. So when the therapist doesn't do all that stuff that Kirsty says, what do you do, Rich? Uh, basically, if I see the child and there's no prescription or anything, even if, it, like, if it's a Medicaid patient, I'll have a certificate of medical necessity. I'll fill out a prescription myself ah. and forward it with the certificate of medical necessity. To the doctor. Right. For the device or if there's any additions like shoes, socks, what else is needed for the child. Sure. So then that requires just a little bit more legwork on your part. Yeah, it's not bad. No. I do it every day. That's right. <laughs> yeah, bad. <laughs> And again, the letter of medical necessity, I think that's a whole other topic for another day. But right. Ari, can you tell me the high points? I know you have your own letter. So what needs to be in one to make it happen? Because I guess, Kirsty, for you, what are the high points you hit? I give a brief history of the child. So a doctor is getting this on their desk. Think, okay, I'm going to put myself in their shoes. They've been treating patients all day long. 
And when they have a break, which are probably few and far between, but at the end of the day, they walk in their office and there is stacks of paper on their desk, maybe charts that they have to sign off on, different letters, different prescriptions that are needed because the nurses took the call and it got put on their desk. The faxes came in. There's another pile for that. So from our end, if we called the doctor and said, hey, I need an order for this, there's going to be more follow-up on that. But if we just go ahead and send the LMN, they have it on their desk. There might be time before they get to it. We don't know how fast the turnaround time is going to be depending on what they have going on. But it communicates with them. Without them having to go to pull up a chart, they see what's happening with this child. Here's what they're currently doing. Here's what they're not able to do. And here's what I need. Here's my recommendation to help them. One of the lines in my LMN is if you are in agreement with the above recommendations, a script with and I bold what I need the script to say and then I leave our number just so if at the end of the day they read very little of that and skim it over in bold at the bottom is what I need the script to say (laughs) there you go that's a good summary of it right she did real good (laughs) yeah that's great just right there to the um, basically here's what I need and here's why so sign below Right. And a lot of times I said with the letter of medical necessity that the Kirsten and the other therapists do, I can use that for the private insurances also. Sure. To get yeah. the authorizations. That makes the wheels turn. And like it's better coming from the therapist because she sees the child more than I do. Sure. I said, I'm seeing them maybe once for the casting, once for delivery, and then a follow up. Yeah, and I would think from a physician's perspective, it would also, it would be really important for the letter to be from the therapist because they've referred the child to us. Right. They've called you in to say, hey, this is a specialist who knows this child needs a custom orthotic or a splint or something. This person knows it, but the doctor needs to hear from us what we're still doing to help this child get better for the physical therapy services they referred. So I feel like the letter would need to come from us. It's just basically we're communicating back with our referrals. Right. Yeah, yeah. And Rich and I both know that there have been practices out there that every six months they know they can get a new pair of AFOs that an orthotist goes back in, reassesses on their own without a therapist, and goes ahead and just gets another orthotic with no therapist involved in that. Mm. And can that be done? Yeah. Is it the right thing to do? Nope. Oh, heavens, really? Yes. (laughs) There's a couple Uh -uh. of companies out there like that. That's against everything we really do and believe in, right? Hmm. Right. And basically, I won't go in until the therapist calls me or I have an order from a doctor sure, or the family calls me. Yeah. And you're crazy busy. So that must be a good way to practice. I guess if you know what you're doing and you do it ethically and like you're supposed to do, people will come. Exactly. Shocking. <laughs> That's right. So for the past, you've been doing this now, Rich, 30 years. Um, and you've been working with PDT now for at least 11, we've established. So how has the field of orthotics changed? Uh, the insurances have changed, cutting down on percentages they pay for. The devices that are going to come out for the children, especially in prosthetics with the microprocessors, there's new development in all the liners, osteointegration of the prosthesis actually into the limb. Uh, that's still experimental, though. What does that mean? They'll actually, into, if it's a BK amputee, uh, they'll actually implant a pin into the tibia and protrude all through the skin, but they're having problems with infection in that right now. So that way the patient doesn't need a socket. They just go right into the pylon. How cool is that? It's attached to their stump. Is that more for like the adult field? or Right, well, they're actually experimenting that with adults right now. Over in Europe, they're doing a lot of it. Wow. But here we're still experimental. Right. And so do you usually see things happen with the adult patient first before it gets to the pediatric patient? Yeah, they experiment on adults first. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let the adults take it. Yeah. All right, so we got to protect our little peoples. Okay, so just more devices. Pediatric, there was hardly anything out there. It was hard to find anything. Really? But basically a lot of companies are getting into pediatric and developing more things for them. The different types of bracing, the, S, the short step SMOs mm. for developmental delay. The Cascade Dolphins were developed for patients with tone. Mm. Basically that's just a difference in the type of bracing there is. How about in casting? Does anything happen to advance in casting? Or is it the same way it was 20 plus Still years ago? Still the same way. We don't use plaster no more. We use fiberglass. There you go. We can well. basically get one roll instead of two. <laughs> All right. So how about what's upcoming? Osteo integration, the stumps, and basically more microprocessors. They've actually come up with some exoskeletal systems that help with paraplegics actually get up and ambulate. The Army has actually come up with a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, so we're taking a lot of stuff from the military. A lot of experimental stuff is going on at Walter Reed Hospital, too. And a lot of stuff is coming out of there. I wanted to just touch on that we've brought Rich in to educate therapists on what's new out there because, you know, he's in it every day and he knows. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were over at the Westgate Clinic and Rich was like, hey, have you seen that new bamboo arm splint that came out? And I'm like, no, yeah. but I'm interested. Tell me more. <laughs> so I think I just enjoy working with him because he's got that same level of excitement that we have, you know, and just anything new and cool that's going to help our kids is just pretty awesome to see. It sounds like what you're saying, sometimes new and cool doesn't necessarily mean high tech. It could right. be low tech, but just like you said, a better new. liner right. might be Yeah, that bamboo splint is just a neoprene sleeve with five different adjustable stays. There's no bamboo in it. It's just different strength of the stays that you put in there to allow some flexion, minimal flexion, or no flexion. Ah, that is cool. Yeah. If there's no bamboo, why do they call it a bamboo? Because bamboo is flexible or rigid. Ah. <laughs> it was actually a physical therapist actually developed it. Huh. So on that kind of topic, when we're talking about therapists and just sometimes education on, on what an orthotist does or how they work and how to work with them, what advice do you have if you're a therapist working in the field to find an orthotist and collaborate? Like what advice do you have if the therapist is out and yonderville without connections good question <laughs> and they're not here at pdt right <laughs> they just find that a therapist is open to suggestions i mean an orthotist it's open to suggestions because there's so many different things out there you could try right. one thing on a child it's not going to work and something just a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger may work from an administrative side of things you and i can talk on a little bit of different level than maybe you would with other therapists but i think it's important to know as a therapist Obviously, if you have product A and product B, with certain insurances, we want to deliver to the family what's most cost effective. And also what's being billed to insurances, you have to look for the product that will meet the need at the lowest cost. That's like an ethical responsibility of a therapist. And so with working with you, I think one of the things that you're phenomenal at doing is being able to be like, well, Kirsty, here's a product and I think it's going to do the trick and it'll meet the same needs as product B that you really want and are after. Because as a therapist, we're thinking what's best for the patient while you are too, but you bring in that other cost piece. And so with me, and you've done it like more times than I can count, you'll say, okay, well, how about we try this first? And I'll go, I'll try it with you, Rich. But if it doesn't work, you're going to be back next week and I'm going to want the other one. And you'll do that, you know, like at no cost. Now, sometimes it works, but on the occasion it's, <laughs> yep. it hasn't worked. You're like, okay, well, I realize I'm going to have to eat that. But I trust you in that regard that you'll always do what's right by the patient. But I understand that like, financial piece that goes with it. And I think that, you know, if other therapists 
get to that level of understanding, it's helping both the patient, but also your company and your business as well. Right. And there's not that much where I have to redo a lot of things. So it's really not that much of an expense. It's a benefit to the patients and to the therapists just to try things first. Yeah. And a lot of the braces out there have a like a 30-day trial period. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And a lot of people won't tell you that. Ah. Like the toe-off carbon braces, the kitty gates for the children, those uh-huh. have a 30-day trial period. Huh. So if it doesn't work in 30 days, you can send it back and try something else different on the child. Mm. And I love that you tell people that because sometimes you're going to get an orthotist that's like, nope, I went out there, been there, done that, that patient's done. You know, we talk about Hayden crossing it off the list. Well, these are kids, like they never get crossed off our list. Like they're here, they're here to stay. And I mean, we want to do the best by them. So Rich will be very open and honest about the product, if it's returnable, you know, what the warranty is on it. He's even helped me with a brace that's been done by another practice that was like, not going to be okay. (laughs) So he'll help me get the warranty transferred to his company and then he can do the remake in the 90-day period with Cascade because I trust what he's going to make over having somebody else redo it. So I think what I'm hearing from both of y'all is if you're the therapist out there, ask. They need to ask questions. They need to ask, yeah, what else can I do with this patient? Who can help me? And then if they haven't found the right person that really matches and, and isn't giving them what they need for their patient, keep asking. Right. What else is out there? Who else can I work with? What is the benefit? What is the warranty situation with this? Or just keep asking. Right. And that's the orthodontist's job is to know everything that's out there. Yeah. That's why they have these meetings annually. So you go and learn all the new products. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the new products aren't even at these meetings. You just got to research them somehow. Really? And speak with the different companies. Especially if you have a problem with a child with certain braces, especially Cascade Doffa. Call them, tell them the problems. They've done this worldwide. Right. They have figured out all these problems. They'll tell you exactly what to do. They've been doing it for years. Right. Yeah. Ask. Yep. That's my takeaway from thing. that. Ask. <laughs> What's next for you, Rich? Where are you kind of going with what you're going to keep doing what you're doing? I mean, you love what you do. Obviously, oh, exactly. you're talking about it. But what's next for you in the near future? Or distant. Well, come June, I'm going to take my Social Security. Mm. And I'm going to work for six months. Then I'm going to go part-time and do all children racing. Nice. I'm not getting out of this field. No, we can't. We I really... enjoy it too much. The children, they're my kids. Well, I think if you do that, Hayden and I are going to be on your doorstep. We'll just bring them to you. <laughs> yeah. We, don't, we have a really hard time letting go of good people. We're not like a cult or anything. I don't want to give anybody the wrong. But we really don't let go very easily. And so we just keep bringing them back, bringing them back. So Kiersey and I are going to... We're not going to be able to let loose. You can retire all you want, but that's not, or part-time it all you want, but that's not how it's going to work. I'll always be here for the kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's important to have good people around you. Nobody can know everything. Nobody can do everything. It's unrealistic. So you have to find people you can connect with and collaborate with and then use them as a resource to help these patients because they all need something different and they're all changing. Exactly. If I can't do something, I'll tell you that and I'll tell you who to go see to do that. Right. I think that's huge. It's okay to sometimes say, you know, yeah, this is not what I do. Right. Yeah. yeah. I had that conversation with a therapist yesterday about a particular diagnosis. And I said, I know a little bit, but I'm not the best therapist for this particular thing. But I think this person is great at it. So let's call her and say, hey, you. Right. And every day they're coming out with new diagnosis with these children. Yes. I said, I had one child. She's, I think, one out of four in the world that has this diagnosis. I can't really wow. remember what the diagnosis is. Mm. The test study cost her over $30,000, but it was done through the military. Wow. There's a little chickadee we work with in a different area, and I don't think she even has a diagnosis. There's just nobody with what all she has. She's the only one, you know? Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think they're all little individuals, so 
And even if you have a child, for example, with Down syndrome, this is a relatively common diagnosis, you know, in our world, they all present so differently that that doesn't mean diddly squat sometimes. So this is their, maybe their diagnosis of Down syndrome, but they may present very differently from all right. 30 other kids with Down yeah. syndrome. The diagnosis may be the same, but the children aren't, they're, <laughs> no, all, they're all different. No. Every single child is different. Everyone. So, Rich, as we're wrapping up here, is there any certain training that an orthotist would need to work with kids? There is actually no really training for an orthotist or process for pediatrics. It's just you've got to really enjoy doing it and working with the kids. That's the main thing. You sort of have to have a love of pediatrics to do that. You have to really want to do, yeah. Yeah, I actually got thrown into this by accident. Really? How did that happen? <laughs> Another therapy group, Betsy Fitzgerald, she's a sure. PTA. Uh-huh. She called me one time about coming to her clinic to see the kids. From that point on, actually, I gave her a husband a free brace because her husband was a paraplegic. Ah, wow. So she said nobody else in town would help her. So I gave her a free range of motion knee brace because he fell out of his wheelchair and broke his leg. Wow. And from that point on, she's ever started calling me with the kids, and I learned a lot through her also. I think I hear that story a lot with people who are really truly love pediatrics and really want to work with kids is that, you know, they kind of go into it and not really know. For myself, I was like, oh, I don't ever want to work with kids. I mean, yeah. please, never, never. And then I had one you know, clinical rotation with kids. And I was like, wait a second. I like these people. You know, yeah. I kind of understand them. <laughs> so I think that's kind of sort of by accident. A lot of times it happens. And you just realize, oh, this is where the joy is. Oh, yeah. And let's say with me, I'm a little kid myself. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I love getting out on the floor and playing with these kids. <laughs> exactly. Can't be a bad day when you're dealing with, you know, little people. And I have the kids, they pick on me just as much as I pick on them. Love it. See, I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. There's nothing quite like a child. They'll point out all your strengths and your weaknesses, yep. you know, like <laughs> very quickly. One child was rubbing on my arm and he says, because I have a lot of hair on my arms. And he says, is that fur? I said, no, it's just hair. <laughs> I love that. It's awesome. That's the best. But the kids are great. They are great. They're fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And they will point out everything you're exactly. thinking. Nobody will notice or see that. Like, hey, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Rich and Kirsty, thank you so much. I think this has been fantastic. For all therapists, you know, we'll have show notes and references and information about Cascade and about Shore Steps right. and all the information on the show notes there. So, thank you guys both for being here, Rich. I really appreciate it. It's always a good time. I just hope it helped. I think it did. I think it, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Kirsty, thank you also. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the fact that it just fits what we do here at PDT, Rich. I mean, just what you do with the kids and how you work and what you do. It just really, Kiersey says it all the time. I hear all the time she'll say, Rich is just good people. He's just good people. <laughs> and it's the truth, but you just fit with what we do and our vision with pediatrics and being a pediatric therapist and working with kids. It just fits. And when that connection happens, it just makes for great things for all of your patients. Oh, exactly. So thank you both. I appreciate it. And for everybody listening, thank you for your time today. And we'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.